You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, you don't have a feeling of deja vu. Um, yeah, this is a little weird to be back like this again, um, but it is unfortunately uh, something we felt was necessary to do this week, but we will definitely be back next week. Um, I do just want to uh, give a quick shout out to our tech team and worship team who did not have the luxury of being in their pajamas and watching church this morning. They uh, got up and dressed themselves and got up and uh, to serve. Um, and so uh, if you see any of them, uh, please give them a thank you. So um, good morning again. And I know what you, some of you may be thinking, okay? I know you may be thinking this, okay, Brett's on stage. What holiday is he going to ruin this time? And of course, we did just have New Year's, okay? But but you may be thinking, okay, well, New Year's, it's not, you know, it's not like one of those, like, this is supposed to be a Christian holiday kind of thing. Like, New Year's is celebrated by everybody. And yes, yeah, it's cool, it's cool to celebrate everyone. Though I should mention that January 1st was a date chosen. Uh, it's not just arbitrary. It was chosen by Julius Caesar uh, because it is named after uh, the uh, Roman god Janus, uh, who has two faces, and he is looking... Uh, at the past and at the future. So that's why he chose New Year's as a date. So again, we have another holiday that is uh, based on Roman pagan roots. Um, But uh, that's okay. One of the most common uh, things that happens in New Year's is, of course, New Year's resolutions, which also, by the way, the earliest recorded New Year's resolutions were by the Babylonians, the very people to haul the Judeans out into exile. So there's that too. But anyways, New Year's resolutions, okay? When you make a New Year's resolution... Is usually based on you feel like something's off, right? Something in your life has not met a standard of what you want it to be. And so you have this new year, right? Like, okay, like this is gonna be a brand new start. Out with the old, in with the new. You kind of have this mountaintop experience on, on December 31st, going into January 1st, and like, yes, this is gonna be my year. And I wish I could get into that. I, I really do. I wish I could have that, that spirit, that positive oomph, that carp DM type mentality when it comes to New Year's resolutions. But unfortunate for me, my cynicism kicks in, and I'm like, if you really want to change, you could have done that any time during the year. Why are we going to wait to January 1st, right? Like, if you felt like something was off in June, if you felt like it was off in September, you could have made a choice right there, but no, no, you just kind of push it off. Like, I'll take care of it in the new year, right? And and and, and again, it's like, I, I get it, uh, but for me, I just, I, I can't get into it myself. Um, the other unfortunate reality, and this actually does make me sad, is that only a small percentage of people actually make their New Year's resolution stick. According to one survey I read, 46% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% of Americans actually keep them. So for the rest of the, uh, you know, uh, 92% of those people, it didn't work. It didn't work. They couldn't stick with it. You know, the gym, the gym membership only lasted a month and they ended up paying for the whole year. That kind of thing, right? And it's an unfortunate thing. And it ends in disappointment or resignation or just a, eh, okay. Right? So despite the fact that, you know, we try to do these things, we still make them, but we end up not being as resolute as we wish that we were. And this year especially, I think this year especially, now, two years into COVID, just like many of us have thought like, oh yeah, we're nearing the end. We're at the end of COVID. Some people are starting saying post-COVID, but it's like, no, no, if today has any indication, nope, we're still here. It's still going. And we're going to be here for a little while longer. And I think sometimes we need that victory. 
right? We need to feel like, oh, man, things are tough right now. Like we are tired. We are, we, we, we are, we are just over it. Like how many people are just, we're just over it, right? We're tired. And we could use a little victory. And maybe resolutions can give us that, right? Because like, yeah, okay, a little momentum, a little push into 2022. I can do this, yes. And we need that little victory if it works. But of course, if it doesn't, it might push us back and, you know, make us feel awful about ourselves or something like that. So I'm not saying don't do New Year's resolutions. But I think there is something else we could do instead. And I love what Pastor John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, did on New Year's. He had what actually we kind of do in RLA, is he had what he called a covenant renewal service. So he asked his congregation and the community around him to come celebrate the Lord and renew their relationship with Jesus on New Year's Eve. It's kind of like what we do. We worship and we pray in the new year. So this morning, I want to look at people who, in the Bible, who renewed their covenant with God, renewed their relationship with God, namely some of the Judean kings. The most successful of the Judean kings, all the Judean kings wanted to make a change, like uh, when you when you start your rule, you're like, okay, now I'm in charge. What are we going to do? The most successful ones in the eyes of God made covenants with God during their reign. And so again, while New Year's resolutions can be a good thing, the most important resolution I believe we can do is renewing our relationship with Jesus, renewing our covenant with the Lord. And as we will see, renewing our relationship with God will affect not just us, but how we interact with others, how we see ourselves, and what our lives can look like. It might even end up helping us with some of those resolutions that we've been putting off since September. So I'm gonna focus on three kings, um, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Josiah. But I'm actually gonna start with Josiah, who was um, the leader of these, and he was Hezekiah's great-grandson. It just kind of works more thematically with what I believe God wants to teach us this morning. So we'll start with Josiah. Most of this is gonna come from um, 2 Chronicles. Um, You can read about the stories also in the books of Kings. Um, and many of the uh, prophetic books, because they all kind of intertwine uh, their stories from different points of view. So Josiah was only eight years old when he took the throne. But already eight years old, he had seen plenty in his lifetime. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, who was king, uh, who was Hezekiah's son, was one of the worst kings of Israel ever. Manasseh allowed and encouraged worship of idols. He sacrificed one of his sons to fire uh, to a foreign god. He built offering places to other gods inside the temple. Second Chronicles 33.9, Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that they did even more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. That's a bad dude. Okay, the Lord sent Joshua and the Israelites into the promised land to take it over and kick out the wicked people there. But then under Manasseh, the people of Judah became even more wicked than the original people. It's pretty messed up. Now, eventually, Manasseh did repent after the Assyrians took him captive and he prayed to the Lord for forgiveness and was restored to Jerusalem and the throne. Um, He did actually enact some reform, but the effect of Manasseh's sin had already taken place. It was really great. Um, not great isn't good, great isn't big. Um, Josiah's dad, uh, Ammon, okay, this was Manasseh's son, followed in his father's wickedness. According to Jewish tradition, uh, this is a reading from a Jewish midrash, um, Ammon reasoned an evil reasoning of transgression and said, my father from his childhood was a great transgressor and he repented in his old age. So will I now walk after the lust of my soul and afterward return to the Lord? 
And he committed more evil in the sight of the Lord than all that were before him. But the Lord God speedily cut him off from this good land. And his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. And he reigned only two years. So Josiah, by age eight, had seen his grandfather commit evil, get captured by the Syrians, repent, and get restored to the throne. He made some reform. And then in the, in the last years, in year seven and eight, he saw his father take the throne be just as ungodly as Manasseh was, and then get assassinated by his own servants. So you could definitely say Josiah was looking for a fresh start. This is what happens. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, he, Josiah, began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the sacred poles, and the carved and cast images, which were the idol places. And so in the eighth year of his reign, you know, we're going to ask, why the delay? We don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the best guess is that, well, he was still a boy. He wasn't really allowed to make big decisions for the kingdom yet. And he probably has his advisors rule in his stead. We don't know exactly. But of course, it's probably not a great idea to put an eight-year-old boy in charge of a country. You know, my son, Ethan, is seven. And he's really smart. He's really compassionate. He's really loving. He loves Jesus. But I would not make him president. That would not be a great idea. Um, but Josiah, of course, uh, after he had studied a time and had learned more about the Lord, it says he began to seek the Lord. And by age 20, um, it is said he was already seeking after God. So he, even though his dad and his grandfather were totally wicked, he decided to seek the Lord. And that's what we have to do too. We have to seek the Lord. Now, sometimes it takes a really bad situation like Josiah found himself in that causes us to seek the Lord, and sometimes it doesn't. But no matter what the reason is, we have to search after God. But the wonderful thing is that in our search, God is searching after us as well. God is already searching after us. Revelation 3.20, Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, ask and it will be given. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so what does this mean? What does this mean? The, this resolution, this renewal, if we are honestly seeking after God, and maybe sometimes even if we're kind of half-heartedly seeking and just wrestling with it, God is looking for us, and God will find us, and we will find Him. This will not be a fruitless endeavor. Isn't it amazing that the most important search we will ever have will not return void? Our Jesus loves us so much that he is already searching for us. He's been searching for us, and he will continue to search for us. It's his whole thing. The entire story in the Bible is about him getting us back into his family. If we seek him, he will find us. That is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. I am looking for you because I love you. This kind of love can be absolutely grounding, and indeed, it must be. This must be the foundation for our lives, that the Lord our God loves us. He loves us. 1 John 4, 16, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Isaiah 54, 10, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace 
shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. The Lord is seeking after you. Are we going to search after him? The Lord was also seeking Josiah. Okay, Josiah was seeking. The Lord is seeking Josiah. And he has this kind of cool episode that happens in Josiah's life. Let's look at it. In the, I'm going to just paraphrase a little bit here. But in his 20th year, uh, while Josiah and his team were making repairs and cleansing the temple, one of the priests finds the book of the law that was hidden in the temple. Josiah has it read to him, and hearing the truth, hearing the instruction, the blessings, but also the warnings, and realizing that even though he had enacted reform in, in the nation of Judah, uh, his ancestors had totally not obeyed this law. And the warning came that, well, God was not very happy with that and was eventually going to bring disaster onto Judah as well, uh, just like he brought to Israel, who was already in exile under the Assyrian Empire. And so this is a little bit shocking because Judas, or, uh, Josiah is like, well, wait a minute, I've already enacted some reforms. Is this still going to happen? And this is really terrible. So 2 Chronicles 34, 19 reads, when the king heard these words of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, we may wonder, why is he going to just tear his clothes? This is an ancient custom, an ancient, uh, an ancient practice that when you come across something that is so upsetting and uh, it makes you sad or upset or angry, you, like, you rip your clothes in emotional distress. Okay? And, and I think most of us are glad that we no longer do this because I know that a lot of you may wear some you know, pretty nice clothing, some expensive clothing, like, like oh, this is so sad. Oh, oh that, wasn't, that wasn't a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I can't return this anymore. And... and Okay, if you've ever been any, to any of the GTTs or, uh, you know, any of the NCMI equips or anything like that, you may notice that a lot of, Steve is like, oh, right now, uh, you may notice that a lot of them wear really tight and ripped jeans, all right? And, 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 and maybe, maybe that's their style, or maybe they're just being biblical. Maybe they just come across sad things, and they're like, oh, all that is so upsetting, rip, and they're like, oh, you know, I like that. I'm just going to keep that. <laughs> maybe that's them. I don't know. But at any rate, he was really upset. He was really upset. And Josiah realized the gravity of his nation's sin even before, um, even though it wasn't his fault, right? This had all happened to him, right? His, this was his ancestor. Steve is shaking his head back then. <laughs> yeah, I went for it. Um, anyways, so Josiah realizes this is a, a big situation. And he goes and inquires to one of the prophets if indeed God was still going to punish uh, Judah. So he, uh, he sends some of his advisors to the prophet, and this is what happens. Second Chronicles 34, 23 through 28. She, it's a, it's a female prophet, declared to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus Josiah, thus says the Lord, I will indeed bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the curses that were written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. Before they have forsaken me, or because they had forsaken me, and have made offerings to other gods, so that they have provoked me to anger with all the works of their hands, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But as to the king of Judah, who sent me to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. I will gather you to your ancestors and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. They took the message back to the king. So God's basically saying, yep, 
still going to exile Judah. But for you, King Josiah, because you are penitent, because you're penitent, it's going to happen after you die. You won't see this disaster. And this is a hard truth we have to wrestle with, that despite Josiah's faithfulness and reform and trying to get the nation back on track, God was still eventually going to exile Judah as he allowed to happen to Israel. Now, as 21st century believers in Christ, we can look back and say, well, sure, God's heart was never for this political kingship thing anyway. It's about the heart. Jesus eventually restores all that in his kingdom. Hallelujah. It's okay, Josiah. But let's place ourselves in Josiah's sandals. He's living rightly. And yet God basically says, nope, not going to end the way that you want it to. And I'm promising that you won't see it because it's going to happen after you die, but it's still coming. And so Josiah has a choice. He could, how is he going to react to this? Knowing that he's doing everything right, and it's still not in the end going to work out the way that he hopes. How do you react? He doesn't throw a big tantrum saying, well, that's not fair. It wasn't my fault. I didn't worship idols. That was my ancestors. I didn't participate in the injustice and the sinful practices. No, no, he's fully aware. He fully acknowledges that in the past, his forefathers messed it all up. And, and it affected the people. He acknowledges this. He knows. And he doesn't say, well, why bother? Well, let's just let the country do what he wants. If it's, if it's all going to get blown, blown up anyways, then why bother? Let's just do what we want. Let's be like, dear old dad Ammon, sin now, repent later. Doesn't seem to matter. Judah is destined to be destroyed and exiled anyhow. We can't change the past. My ancestors already messed it up. Let's do what we want. No. His response is, make a covenant with God. Renew the relationship with God. He's basically saying, okay, God has spoken. God has spoken. It's going to happen. We may not see it, but in our lifetime, as long as I'm king, we're going to live right. We are going to renew our relationship with the Lord. We're going to do better than my dad and my grandfather. Second Chronicles 34, 29 through 33. Then the king sent word and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. He read in hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, his statutes, and with all of his heart, all of his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin pledge themselves to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem acted according to the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah took, all, um, took away all the abominations from all territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were in Israel worship the Lord their God. All his days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Josiah, even though he knew disaster was still going to happen and knew that he had been living righteously, knew that that was more important. Living righteously for God in the present was more important. He knew his relationship and the Judean's people's relationship with the Lord was ultimately the most important thing. And this is a hard truth that we have to understand for our lives because sometimes in life we're going to face trial. We are facing trial right now. Bad things are still happening. Sometimes in life, whether it's from people sinning against us or being put into stressful situations or us sinning ourselves, we have to sometimes live out earthly consequences. Even if we repent, even if we are forgiven, even if we learn our lessons, sometimes we still have to bear the consequences. But the question is, do we shrink back at that? 
Do we deflect? Do we blame others? Do we blame God? The lesson of Josiah is that when we make a covenant with the Lord, we are pledging ourselves to trust him and serve him and live for him even when it hurts, even when it's hard. Josiah teaches us that we may not know what's going to happen. Bad things may still come. We may have to live out some of the earthly consequences of our own actions. That may still happen. Are we still going to serve the Lord? Are we still going to love him? Are we still going to seek him out? This is vitally important for us to know that life isn't always all the time going to be rosy because we wish that we could tell everyone, yes, when you become a Christian, everything's great. Everything just works out. But that's not true. Not everything just works out. Stuff still happens. The Bible makes no bones about this. The Bible is very clear that there's going to be persecution. There's going to be trial. There are going to be hard times. Life isn't all roses. It's not. But that doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean that God is still not going to live up to the promises that he's given us. We do not make covenants with God. We do not make our relationship with God for just results. We are results-oriented people, especially in America. We want to see results. We want to see it work out. And I wish I could tell you that it did 100% of the time, but it doesn't. But God is with us in the hard times. God was with Josiah in those hard times. He renewed his relationship with the Lord. The relationship is the most important thing. That's the lesson of Josiah. So let's backtrack now to one of the other kings who definitely contributed to some of Josiah's sorrow, Josiah's great-great-grandfather, King Ahaz, who is known as another, one of the worst kings of Judah. Among other things, Ahaz worshipped other gods. He made idols. He sacrificed his son to a foreign god. And so at one point, Ahaz is warring with Damascus and Israel, okay, warring with his sister state. Uh, in, and instead of calling on God like the prophet Isaiah encouraged him to do, he asks the big political power uh, to come and help. That's Assyria. And instead of helping him, Assyria, he go, they, they go and try to take territory from Damascus and Israel too. But they actually start oppressing Judah as well. And so, again, he has a choice. He could turn to God or he could do something else. And this time instead, well, look what happens. Second Chronicles 28, 22 through 25. In this time of distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same King Ahaz, a little bit of snark from the Bible there. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, because the gods of the kings of Aram, that's Damascus, helped them, I will sacrifice to them so that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of the Lord and cut into pieces the utensils of the house of the Lord, assumably to pay off the other countries. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his ancestors. So Ahaz was in trouble. And instead of turning to God, he goes and prays to the gods of Damascus instead, the very people that had crushed him. Ahaz closes the doors to the temple, blocking anyone from worshiping God, and he turns to foreign powers for his aid. He's under the common misconception back then that losing a battle meant that your God lost. Okay, Damascus and Israel beat him. So he thought, well, wait a minute then. The gods of Damascus must be more powerful. I'm going to pray to them for their favor instead. Ahaz fell into this ancient trap. 
He had no firm basis relationship with the Lord, no revelation of God. If he did, he would have hopefully been able to turn to God in his defeats. But instead, he jumped ship, uh, jumped ship to what he saw as the winning team. And there's a lesson for us here as well. In this life, again, we are going to face obstacles. We are going to face defeats. It does happen. Do we bow to them or do we turn to the Lord? Do we say, oh my gosh, this thing that beat me, I, I lost to it today. Are we just going to surrender to it and say, all right, you win. That's it, right? You're more powerful. Clearly, God has abandoned me. When we make these resolutions or when we try to make a covenant with God, there is going to be opposition. But we cannot believe that God has abandoned us. Victory is still going to happen, right? When you try to make New Year's resolutions, right? If you're trying to lose weight, Chick-fil-A is probably going to look a whole lot tastier. If you're trying to save money, I guarantee you there's going to be a sale at Target. <laughs> Jennifer's dying back there. If you're trying to spend more time with family and friends, bam, you get sick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of just going to happen, right? And when you try to improve your relationship with the Lord, when you seek after him, Satan isn't going to be happy about this. And he's going to put obstacles in your way. He's going to try to throw you off track. When you try to go deeper with the Lord, Satan is going to try to get in the way. And whenever I preach, I can bank that the week ahead is going, everything's going to go wrong. This week, when I was preparing for the message, my hot water heater broke. And it got, like I had to spend like 1500 bucks for a new hot water heater. Uh, I had to wait four and a half hours for a, for a COVID test. And there were a bunch of other things that happened. Okay? Stuff happens. Um, and, and, and okay, I want to share with you one little story here. Um, about a year into COVID, uh, Eli, Eli Quintero, we love you, Eli, if you're watching. Uh, Eli Quintero got COVID for the second time. He got COVID for the second time. And, and, and uh, he, he started feeling sick on a Tuesday. And then he texted the elders on a Thursday after he tested positive. And uh, he said, hey, you know, I, I've got COVID. Um, we, we just had our worship night and uh, you guys should all get tested. And indeed, I was like, yeah, I need to get tested because I was right next to Eli um, on that worship night. And I didn't, you know, we were wearing our masks, but um, I didn't want to have COVID and, and be like, hey, my kids, my kids are at my parents' house. They might have COVID. Now they might have COVID. And I'm going to be with the elders all weekend because we we're going on our elders retreat. Like I need to get checked out. And I was driving the car with Kathy uh, on our way to the retreat when this all happened. And then I turned to Kathy, I'm like, okay, not only do I get to get checked out, but oh my gosh, Eli's got second, the second bout of COVID. That's terrible, I'm hoping he's okay, but oh my gosh. She's like, what, what happened? Well, this is what happened. See, during the worship night, I had been praying to go deeper in my, um, deeper into the prophetic. And, and, and I wanted to be like up my courage and, and up my ability to, you know, just hear from God and give people encouraging words uh, right there on the spot. And I had been praying and I felt God give me a word for Eli. And that was what, what I, why I was next to him. I, was, I had spoke to him for like a good five minutes. That's why I needed to get checked out. And what's worse is the word I gave him. Like, what, 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 what did the Lord, the, the Lord gave me this word for Eli. Eli, you still got it. <laughs> you still got it. And now he's got COVID for the second time. He's going to think that I prophesied and going to get COVID. All I meant was, you know, all, all I knew God meant was, you know, like, Eli, yes, you still have it. You're a good husband. You're a good father. You have what it takes to go deeper in the Lord. But now it's like, oh, my gosh, I hope it doesn't. And, I, and I, like, I, as soon as, I, as we stopped the car, I texted Eli. I was like, Eli, I hope you don't think that I meant that now you have COVID. Like, you still got it. 
And and for Eli, this was an encouraging word. Like, yes, you can keep going. You can do, do this, Eli. But now you have COVID. There's Satan getting in the way again. And I'm trying to go deeper into the prophetic. And now it's like, if I prophesy over someone, they get COVID. I'm never going to prophesy anyone again. That's Satan getting in the way. Now, obviously, we know that one, Eli's fine. Thank God he survived because this would have been a terrible story if that didn't happen. Um, but um, we love you, Eli. Satan does sometimes get in the way. He does try to get in the way of our progress. Ahaz had, had obstacles. Did he turn to God during that time? No, he let the obstacles define him. He said, all right, those things that defeated me, I'm going to turn to you because obviously you are more powerful. He forgot the promises to his forefathers of an everlasting kingdom. We have to keep our eyes transfixed on Christ and his promises when obstacles come. Romans 8, 28 through 29, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. For his part, Ahaz's lack of trust in God left Judah as a vassal state to Assyria. He didn't keep his eyes on the promises that he gave to Abraham, to David. We need to keep our eyes on the promises of God when obstacles come. Are we going to turn towards God Renew our relationships. Say, yes, God, I will still follow you. I am still going to follow you despite the things that are going on. Or are we going to let our enemies define us? When Ahaz died, he was judged so poorly that the people didn't even bury him with the rest of the kings. That was Ahaz's legacy. And so Hezekiah, his son, now takes the throne. And he recognizes that his country is now in shambles. It's now a vassal state to Assyria. And he recognizes that, yeah, hey, things need to change. Dad's way didn't turn out so well. It is time to go back to God. Second Chronicles 29.10, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Hezekiah has this in his heart. Okay? He wants to make a covenant with the Lord. But we have to know that any covenant, any relationship, any promise has to also come with action has to come with action. We can't just say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus and then not actually follow, right? So he's going to take some steps. Second Chronicles uh, 29.3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Okay. So his first thing, like he says, the first month of the first year of his reign, the first thing he does is open the doors of the house of the Lord. He's basically like, hello, I'm Hezekiah. I'm your new king. And the first word of his is open up that temple. Open it right back up and repair it. Restore the temple. Now, for us, that's a bit of a foreign concept because we have the Holy Spirit. We know that we can worship outside of the church building. We don't have to go through all the rituals. We don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. But for the Judean people, this is a big deal. This was their God-instructed, Moses-initiated, David-certified means of interacting with God, bringing sacrifices, receiving forgiveness, and absolution from sin. This was the basis of a tangible experience with God. This was the house of the Lord. David and Solomon built this, and God agreed that, yes, this indeed is where my spirit dwells on earth with man for this time period. Hence why Hezekiah 
knew that his first action was to open it right back up to get Judah back on track. And so 2 Chronicles 29, 35-36, Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because of what the God had done for the people, for this thing had come about suddenly. Ahaz blocked anyone from getting to God. Hezekiah gave the people the way back to God. And for us, even though our churches, is, our churches are open, except for this week, I guess, but in general, our churches are open. But ultimately, we are the temples of God because the Holy Spirit dwells with us, right? The Holy Spirit is with us always. We know that God is all around. But have we actually closed our temple doors? Have we actually been not allowing God to speak to us? Are we willfully ignoring him? When that happens, when we shut Jesus out of our life, our relationships start to suffer. We have more sorrow, more frustration, joylessness. We become less grace-filled. Our patience wanes. Our marriages, our relationships deteriorate. Maybe it's time to fling the doors wide open and let God back in. Maybe it's time to say, yes, I need you, Jesus. Come back into my life. Let's renew that relationship with God. He wants to see us restored. He wants to see you restored. When we renew our covenants with God, we're actually saying, God, come in. Dwell with me. Jesus is the Emmanuel. He is the God with us. The Holy Spirit is with us at all times, but he won't force it upon on us. We have to be willing to accept and surrender to him. We have to be willing to, like Hezekiah, throw the doors back open. Now, Hezekiah doesn't just, uh, he doesn't just say, okay, the doors are open, right? Then he says, all right, now let's walk through the doors. Everybody, let's walk through those doors that we've opened back up. God is with us again. Let's make sure we actually participate. And he starts with a Passover meal. Okay? The Passover meal is a celebration in, in uh, Jewish tradition that celebrates their rescue from Egypt. Uh, when they were in captivity in Egypt as slaves, uh, God, of course, sent uh, plagues to try to get Pharaoh to release the people. And the tenth and final plague, after uh, after the first nine, did not convince Pharaoh to let them go. God sends the tenth and most horrifying plague, and this is the death of the firstborn. And he sends the angel of death to go into Egypt and take all the firstborn children. Harsh, yes, it is. But um, what he told the Israelites, is, he said, okay, so the angel of death doesn't take your children, take lamb's blood, and put it over the doorframe of your houses and the angel of death will pass over those houses. And so that, of course, was the final straw for Pharaoh, and he let the people go. And so the Israelites celebrate this, uh, this phenomenon and say, like, okay, this was the time where God showed mercy on us and rescued us. This is a celebration of God's goodness, of God's love, and his power. And so this Passover meal for them was a huge celebration of one of the biggest events in their history. And so, and they're, and they're parting it up. They're they're sacrificing, and they um, th- during this time they sacrifice a lamb, uh, the sacrificial lamb, uh, the Passover lamb they call it, and uh, that is to commemorate what happened. And that is why we have Jesus, who is called the Lamb of God, because God sent His Son Jesus to be the sacrifice for us, so that death might pass over us. And so, this is a big deal. It's saying, okay, the doors are open, come on in, and now let's celebrate the Lord. Let's celebrate his victory. 
Let's celebrate his goodness. Let's celebrate his mercy. Let's celebrate his love. Remember all of that. A big step in renewing our covenants with God is celebrating who he is. This is what it says. First Chronicles 30, uh, 23. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the festival for another seven days. So they kept it going for seven days with gladness. They're like, we've already been doing this for seven days. This is awesome. God is amazing. Let's do this for another seven days. Let's keep it going, right? Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Or at least ain't no party like Hezekiah's party because it'll go on for at least another seven days. But they wanted to keep it going. They wanted to keep it going. Yes, let's celebrate God. And the gratitude and gladness is filling their hearts. And then look who Hezekiah invites to this. 2 Chronicles 30, 1, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, those are tribes in uh, Israel, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. So not only Judah, but Israel as well, the very people who had made life tough for his dad. As it turns out, some of the Israelites, or a lot of them, just laugh at the invitation and don't come. But some, the Bible tells us, humble themselves and do accept the invitation and come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with their ancient relatives, the Judeans. Hezekiah's reform and renewal of covenant includes even those who had wronged him. The one thing I love about news resolutions is that it does mean that we are self-reflective enough to say, yeah, I've got something wrong in my life. It's good to see our own flaws because far too often we only look at the flaws of others, especially when people have hurt us. And those flaws often keep us from engaging and loving those people. However, when we renew our covenant with God, it ought to affect not just our relationship with him, but our relationship with other people as well, especially those who have wronged us. We honor God's forgiveness of our sins by forgiving and reconciling with others. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This forgiveness, this shared humanity, the recognition that all fall short of God's glory, and yet he loves each and every, per, every person, including the ones who have hurt us, including the people who are different, including the people we disagree with, who don't fit the mold, who God's love extends to them as well. And often it's up to us to extend that to them. We need to show God's love. We need to show God's forgiveness to them. God wants to include them in his family as well. God's grace extends to far more people than we might personally believe. Yes, they have to accept it. But when we renew our relationship with God, our love for others, our compassion for others, it grows. Look what happens to Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles 30, 18 through 20. For a multitude of people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulon, again, that's Israel, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than it had prescribed. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon all who set their hearts to seek God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though not in accordance with the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness. The Lord heard Hezekiah and, heard and healed the people. Normally, when you participated in temple worship, you had to go through a ritual cleansing process to enter the temple. The Israelites from the northern kingdom had been so separated for like 200 years that they probably didn't know everything they needed to do. And they didn't. They weren't ritually clean. Technically, they weren't allowed to participate. But Hezekiah didn't kick them out. No, he said, they have set their hearts on seeking God. 
Hezekiah looked past his own culture, even the rules that were there, and prayed for them that God's forgiveness might reach them as well. And what does verse 20 say? The Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. We as believers, especially in America, have to recognize that people who seek God may look different than us. They may have different customs. They may have even different theology. We are not called to uniformity, but we are called to unity. God loves the people that are different than us. Maybe they even offend us. Are we going to say no for them, even if they show a glimmer of interest in Jesus? Or are we going to show them love and introduce them to Christ, even when their appearance or their actions haven't changed yet, haven't aligned themselves with what we believe the Lord wants for them? Are we going to say no ahead of time? Or are we going to be like Hezekiah and say, all right, it's different. Maybe you hurt me. Maybe you're different. Maybe you still do have sin in your life. So did I. So did I. Come in. Let's experience the Lord together. Lest we forget that unless any of you are Jewish, and I don't think any of our audience is Jewish, you were on the outside too. We were the Gentiles. We are Gentiles, really. And God in his great mercy extended salvation to us. We were the ones on the outside, and yet God grafted us into his family. And yes, some people may scoff, some people may laugh, some people may reject us, but some might come in. And having received mercy from us, might believe that the Lord has mercy on them too. Renewing our covenant with Christ calls us not only to better relationship with him, but better relationship with others, so that they too might experience the love of God. Now, if anyone is thinking that I mean to say that we ought to call things not sinful when they are sin, rest assured I am not. First Chronicles 31, uh, yeah, 31 verse 1. Now, oh, it's second. My bad. Sorry. Sorry, Jennifer. <laughs> it's second Chronicles. Sorry. Typo, which affected Jennifer. Um, so second Chronicles 31, 1. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke down the pillars, hewed down the sacred poles, and pulled down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, all to their individual properties. They had to tear down the things that were keeping them from God. For the Judeans, it was those places of idol worship. But for us, what might our idols be? What other gods have we selected that give us value, that direct our actions, that keep us captive, that claim our love? Maybe it's an obsession with politics and the division that creates. Maybe it's hobbies. Maybe it's a person. It's a bad habit or an addiction, social media, our jobs, our rights, our money, consumerism, our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, our own individual customs. Maybe those things have become idols in our life. Maybe those things need to be broken down, hewed down, pulled down, destroyed, like the Judeans did. Obviously, if it's a person, do not hurt or kill a person. That's not the way we take care of things. Uh, but in some cases, relationships do need to be cut off, or at the very least, firmer boundaries applied. Now, this isn't just legalism. Okay? It's not just say, do this, don't do that, just follow the rules. Listen to the language of our verse. Now, when all this was finished, this was the Passover meal, the people went out and took down the idols. So it was a response 
to what was going on in their hearts. We are celebrating the Passover. We are partying it up for God. This is amazing. God is good. God is great. And oh my gosh, he is so great. And we've been worshiping at these other places to other gods. This can't be the way it is because God is our love. God is the relationship we need to be chasing after. And so they went and tore those things down. Their vision had been restored, reset to keep their eyes transfixed on the Lord. The covenants of their hearts with God had been renewed. God's love and mercy were apparent and obvious. So the next logical, emotional, spiritual step, tear down the things that are getting in the way of, of God. And we have to see combating sin as that. It's not just rules of do's and don'ts. It's saying, if God loves me this much, and I realize that I love him in return, and I want more of him because I trust him, then to fulfill that vision of more Jesus, I ought to get rid of those things that are holding me back from God. I need to tear those things down because they are keeping me from Jesus. When we renew our covenant, it might mean examining our lives and being willing to tear some things down. Renewing our relationship with Christ can be the basis of who we are as people, who we are as a church, and who you are as an individual person. It stems from his great love for us and us seeking him. When we find ourselves in that secure place, real change, real vision, even New Year's resolutions and beyond, can start to take shape and be fulfilled. Because Jesus saved me, I want to spend more time in the word. Because Jesus redeemed me, I want to grow in my prayer life. Because Jesus loves me, I want to serve on a ministry. Because he forgives me, I can forgive that one person in my life. Because he wants freedom for me, I can cast down the idols in my life. Renewing our relationship with God may have obstacles and sometimes struggles but he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is faithful to those kings who followed him. And he, was promi- and he promised victory in the end. Right? What were the words we sang this morning? When all I see is a battle, you see a battle won. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain moved. That's the vision that I want. There are many things that the Lord has called us to. Are we going to walk in them? Because we trust him. When we renew our relationship, when we renew our covenant with him, he will give us the power the strength, the companionship we need to take those things. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it's going to take some steps to get there. When we earnestly seek him, he will find us. When we are cemented in that love, life begins to transform so those steps become easier. We find joy and gratitude. We love better when we begin to love like Jesus. And those things that have plagued us crumble. What is your next step? What vision has God given you? Will that covenant help with that? I guarantee you it will. You know, the Patricks, you know, if the Patricks are watching, we love you, Patricks. We miss you already. I, I drove past here and I realized that house is now empty. And I got a little sad, <laughs> like this morning. Um, we miss you, Patricks. But one of the, um, obviously, they've, they've taken a huge step, right? They took a huge step of faith to go and plant a church in Huntsville, Alabama. That was their step. One of the, one of the last conversations I had with Linton before he left was like he said, you know, this is a big step. It obviously is a huge faith step. But for me, he said, going out in the community was, took more faith because he had more fears of just going out in the community and talking to people about Jesus. That was a bigger faith step for him. And he reminded me that everyone has a step. Everyone has something God is calling them to. 
And it may not be as dramatic or big as planting a church. But for that person, it's going to take a lot of faith to take whatever that step is. And it's important that we don't compare what our next step is to other people. Oh, sure, I'm not planning a, a church. But it may be a big step for you, whatever you're called to next. And that's okay. That is okay. We cannot compare whatever step it is God's calling us to take to other people's steps. Because God is each on our own journey. You may have a small step to the world or a big step to the world. But it may require some big faith. But God wants to give us that faith. Let's tap into our relationship with Him so that we can take those next steps. Let's make 2022 into everything it can be in the Lord. It goes beyond newest resolutions. And again, we can do those things at any time. But when it comes to renewing our covenant with God, let's not wait like Ammon did. Let's instead be like Hezekiah. First month, first year. Let's renew that covenant. Let's get back to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are seeking after us. You absolutely love us. And God, I pray that our hearts will be set on seeking you as well. Give us the strength, give us the courage to say yes to you this morning, to renew our relationship with you, knowing that you have big things for us. You have big things for us. And some of those things may be scary. God, we know, but we want to trust you. We want to trust who you are. We want to trust your goodness. We want to trust your grace. We want to trust your love. God, you have everything for us, set before us. Prepare that path for us. May we just know that you are with us. We love you, Lord. We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, everyone, all right? I don't know if you're going to say yes or no, because I can't hear you or see you. But um, yeah. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, we did have a lot of announcements. If you need to review them, uh, there's on our website, and you can also just review this video uh, when it's up on YouTube. And we will see you next week, we promise. We are gonna see you next week, so please be here uh, in person next week. Uh, yeah, again, we love you, and uh, we hope you have a good week.